The Industrial Security Podcast with Andrew Ginter and Nate Nelson. Sponsored by Waterfall Security Solutions. Welcome listeners to the Industrial Security Podcast. My name is Nate Nelson. I'm here with Andrew Ginter, Vice President of Industrial Security at Waterfall Security Solutions, who will introduce the subject and guest of today's show. Andrew? Hi, Nate. Um, yeah, our guest today is Sven Schrecker. He is the Chief Architect for IoT, Internet of Things Security Solutions at Intel Corporation. Sven is also the co-chair of the Security Working Group at the Industrial Internet Consortium, which is where I know him from. And uh, before that, Sven was the Chief Architect for Risk and Compliance uh, for the Risk and Compliance Business Unit at McAfee. Without further ado, here's Sven Schrecker. Sven, could you start off by telling our listeners what is the Industrial Internet of Things? Perhaps starting off with what is the Internet of Things? So the, the Internet of Things, uh, which is really the focus for, for my work, uh, I'm coming from Intel, and uh, certainly the, the silicon forms the basis of the IoT, which is uh, a extension of uh, the traditional evolution in technology where, uh, you know, after, uh, the PC revolution came the mobile revolution. Um, so actually it went PC, it went web, uh, where the internet revolution kicked in. Uh, then it went to mobile, uh, where mobile devices kicked in and then it went to cloud, uh, which, uh, you know, formed the, the basis for mobile computing. And if you, if you think about that, it's really a pendulum that swings back and forth and probably extends even before, but I'll just start uh, at PCs. So PCs were endpoints. Everybody had their own uh, networking came in, the pendulum swung all the way to the other side until now everything had to do not so much with the PC, but with the internet. So now everything was internet focused. And then when devices got very small and suddenly the iPhone comes out, you can have a device in your pocket that is uh, comparable to a, a, a PC. So it was a compute platform. This pendulum swung all the way back to the endpoint. Uh, and then people realized that Really, it's, it's not these endpoints that are so unique. They're actually underpowered. What's unique is that you can leverage, use them as a, uh, you know, a, a proxy for this big internet, but which is now really the cloud and, and, uh, the application lives, you know, half in the cloud and half on the device. And more and more, that's a smaller half that's on the device and more and more of the functionality is out in the cloud. So where IoT is, uh, is sort of that swing back in the other direction where there's still a lot of the cloud aspects. There's that, that, that key connectivity, um, that still has to be available. But the devices are not just mobile devices. They're any kind of a connected device. And we see many, many, many devices out there that, um, um, qualify. So everything from, uh, you know, a car, which is technically an IoT device, um, to, you know, the uh, little temperature sensors that you have sprinkled around the house to, um, you know, the the uh, uh, webcams and, and baby cams and things like that. Um, so that that's really IoT. And where, where that pendulum is, is, is very much debatable. I'm happy to go into that with you. But that's that's sort of how I would describe IoT in terms of the evolutionary process. Now, you mentioned IIoT. So IIoT is the industrial side of IoT. So industrial has always been, and when I say industrial, I mean, um, you know, the industrial verticals, including energy, which is uh, electric and oil and gas, uh, transportation, health care, uh, government, um, you know, buildings, all the way out to smart cities, etc. So it's all that kind of stuff. Uh, and what makes it unique is that it is also embracing technology. So I don't know how much, um, you know, the Internet affected say, uh, the energy, uh, distribution grid. Um, but once you get into IOT and all the sensors and the actuators and all these little things that have the connectivity and can participate now in larger, uh, operations, um, and apply solutions for bigger, uh, business processes, uh, things start to get very interesting. And these technologies, uh, are very beneficial. For example, 
one of the big drivers in the industrial spaces uh, is this preventative maintenance. So by putting sensors on, on uh, you know, big pieces of machinery, uh, say sound or vibration sensors, you can detect when a bearing starts to go bad and you can replace it before it does go bad and really seize up the whole machine. Uh, similarly, you know, the, the preventative uh, capabilities allow you to build out a uh, maintenance schedule that's uh, much more reliable, uh, doesn't have the downtime, doesn't have the unexpected downtime, the uh, unplanned downtime. So, it really becomes a um, capability of leveraging technology to optimize and become more efficient. But there are some some issues there. It's not the nirvana that it seems to be. So to begin with, the industrial spaces, uh, pretty much across the board, have always focused mainly on safety, because safety is a requirement, and reliability, because without the reliability, uh, the business processes suffer and there go profits. And that's the whole reason that this you know, process was in place, et cetera. So um, the focus being on uh, safety and reliability never had as much uh, focus on security as it needed. And as a result, uh, in IIoT, uh, there are some concerns now around these new technologies being implemented and certainly there is advantage and, you know, just, just the preventative maintenance, uh, paints the picture of, of the absolute, um, you know, uh, no brainer as far as there, there's really no downside to that, but, but there is, right? So when it comes to the safety, when it comes to the reliability being compromised by security issues, that becomes a problem. When resilience, uh, is not the level that you need so that the safety and the reliability fail or, or become impacted, that becomes an issue. And we're now seeing the ugly specter of privacy creeping in, even into the industrial sectors. Um, and all of that has impact on IIoT, the industrial side of the IoT. Now that you've touched on it, how does IIoT security differ from classical ICS security in character? And as an extension, how does IIoT security diverge from regular IoT security? Okay. Yeah. So, um, in traditional, um, industrial controls, uh, a lot of the security really revolved around isolation. So these systems were isolated from the environment and, uh, controls like guards and walls and locked doors and fences. Uh, these would prevent access to the critical systems. And in the past, uh, a lot of these systems were um, manually controlled. And even when they weren't manually controlled, they were manual overrides. So a big red button that you can hit to shut the machine off uh, for safety reasons. Um, and, you know, control systems that would uh, ensure that the process runs. The water fills up in the boiler. Uh, it boils. Uh, when the pressure is high enough, it releases steam, etc. And all these things functioned correctly as long as nobody touched them. Um, and as long as they didn't break down, of course, the reliability part. So now the challenge is once you start adding IOT technology. Now the sensors and the actuators and all the controls are automated and communicating back to a back end. Um, these concepts of isolation begin to break down, especially when you bring in something like uh, the preventative maintenance that we talked about before, where this actually requires connectivity and it requires in the case of preventative maintenance, connectivity usually outs to the manufacturer of the piece of equipment that's being monitored. So now that's a completely different situation because now you have the capability for data to flow out of the, the pristine industrial environment and out into the crazy wild internet. And, you know, although the cloud security may be in place, and that's something else we can talk about, uh, the, the fact that the data can get out means that potentially the data can get in for things like updates and, uh, you know, uh, changes for the monitoring, pushing policy down and things like that. So now once you have this data flowing, now you've got literal uh, legitimate concerns um, about the security. And then those security um, concerns then reflect down onto the, the safety and the reliability of your entire process. So the way things have changed in IIoT is that with the technology, um, comes greater access requirements and therefore higher risk of having bad things come in. 
So for example, a, uh, a phishing email that uh, gets a, a email recipient to download a virus uh, under their laptop, on their Windows laptop, for example. Um, that is bad and has can have a financial impact and can you know leak secrets from the the uh, business side. However, when there is a connection between the business side and that pristine industrial environment, now those kinds of things can become a vector for actually getting into the uh, actual business processes on the industrial side. So when we look at industrial security uh, nowadays versus the in, in the past, there are four sectors, um, categories that we look at for industrial security. So there's the things, the endpoints that need to have protection or have some kind of way of defending themselves. We'll talk about that in a second. There's the connectivity or the communication between them because they talk to each other and other things, uh, potentially all the way out to the, to the cloud. Uh, then there's the management. So how do you tell these things what to do and how do you manage the security for them? And then the monitoring. How do you know that they're doing the right thing and how do you know the security is actually working? So those four aspects, the endpoints, the communications, the management, and the monitoring um, form the basis for the new IIoT security capabilities. Now, how that differs from traditional industrial and even modern IoT is that in both cases, even modern IoT and industrial, they, they never had a lot of, of security capabilities. They weren't really required. Um, for IoT, certainly it was an afterthought. It was more about the functionality. Let's get this thing working. Let's get it out there. Look how great it is. Um, an example of that could be the um, um, the baby cams that can be hijacked or the, the security cameras that can be hijacked uh, and made to do other things like uh, the botnet endpoints that can participate in a massively distributed denial of service attack. Um, you know, those are IoT devices that were being used for completely different things. So the security was never there. And in many cases, the for the industrial side, that perimeter security and the isolation doesn't really work anymore. So now that things are connected um, and the data can flow, even if it's not a constant flow, even if it's just once in a while and supposed to be unidirectional, uh, you know, there are major concerns about uh, violating that, that air gap. And once it's violated, uh, you know, now your, your security is completely unknown and you're very vulnerable again. So um, applying these concepts of, of endpoint communication, management, and monitoring, what we do is we break down this, this really difficult industrial security problem into smaller problems that actually can be solved. So, for example, for endpoints, um, ideally, every endpoint has an identity to uniquely identify itself um, or to, to identify it, um, and then it has the capability of um, having cyber uh, defenses and, and physical defenses as well. So that would be ideal for every endpoint. But in reality, that's not how it works in industrial because those endpoints are often very old, often decades old. They were never meant to do anything like what they're being used for now. Uh, they, you know, have, have uh, you know, a processor and, and at some point somebody attached a module that allowed communications uh, and the applications running on it uh, were never designed to be aware of any kind of security aspect, and, and they don't have a unique identity. And so it makes it very easy to put in uh, controls to impersonate the device or to, uh, you know, cut the device out altogether, or to modify the device, etc. Um, and it's really difficult to, to figure out that anything happened. So addressing the endpoints in industrial is challenging because the, the, uh, they are often very old and weren't designed to do that. Now, the fact that they all talk to each other um, means that in the past, they've had these old legacy protocols that didn't have any authentication, had no authorization. There, there's really, you can send anything, any, any you know, command to any device, and it may very likely execute that. So, um, you know, using Modbus as an example, Modbus protocol in industrial, uh, if I uh, change a bunch of registers, um, it, they will actually set. And so I can, I can read registers. I can write registers. Uh, I can, I can flip coils. I can do a lot of things to these devices and make them do things that they were not supposed to do. Um, and there's very little control, uh, over that. So getting a handle on the manage, on the, uh, 
the uh, endpoints and the communication is the first step in industrial. And the way to do that, interestingly, um, is either do a full rip and replace, which is often not the desired outcome and not a feasible step, or to put a proxy in place of the device on the network uh, such that you can actually uh, represent the device on the network as a more intelligent device and a more security-aware device. So in general, a gateway uh, is leveraged for that, and it'll have at least two uh, connections. Um, one is generally a TCP IP connection that's, that's northward facing to the rest of the network, uh, and then the south side has to interact with the actual device uh, and that that could be anything, Modbus, Goose, I mean, you know, you name it, uh, UART, who knows what that actual connection there is, but it needs to do the conversion. And it's very um, convenient design pattern to put a, a, a gateway in place in front of a uh, uh, untrusted endpoint or untrustable endpoint, because the gateway generally has enough compute power to do things like uh, have an identity um, do mutual authentication when messages are coming in or out and when it's trying to establish a connection, um, authorize the traffic as it's coming through, set up, uh, you know, uh, connection rules for, for firewalling and deep packet inspection, et cetera, you know, and, and be able to do the encryption uh, to secure the data and to uh, ensure the integrity of the data as it passes over the communications network. So um, these rolling out a number of gateways, uh, especially lower cost gateways, is certainly a design pattern that has been um, um, attractive and quite popular. Uh, so, you know, that is an approach to industrial, uh, one approach of many, that seems like it's uh, kind of bringing industrial more in line with where some of the IoT solutions are going, the straight IoT uh, solutions where, you know, there there's some fog components and they enable the, the horizontal and the vertical communications. Um, and it, it's really about um, ensuring those capabilities and having at that higher level of uh, security. Um, and that just can't be done in industrial without putting in these gateways or ripping and replacing the equipment. Okay, we just covered a lot. Let me follow it up with this. So for, for all the benefits IoT provides, one could argue that it does introduce a clear security problem. With so many different devices interconnected, hackers have a wider target to aim at and more avenues for infiltration. Now, when we talk about smart refrigerators, perhaps the associated risk level is reasonable. But when we're talking about critical systems, the risk is so high that security needs to be of highest concern. So how can IIoT be implemented such that it doesn't incur any added security risk for critical industries? Mm -hmm. So interestingly, so the security is not the primary concern. The primary concern is and always will be safety. So the safety of the, the humans and of the environment so that we don't have uh, injury or death or, you know, widespread environmental disasters. So so that is, is number one. And as I mentioned before, the reliability is really uh, the second one there because that's that's the business process. But you're right. Security should be that that third leg of that stool to keep that uh, uh, upright and running. Now, I think the challenge there is that um, it's a new environment and there's this 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 historical connection to security the for the technology security as being more of an IT process and on the industrial side the controls are an OT process and OT is an operational technology versus IT as being the um, information technology so by having these these requirements um, on safety it suddenly forces together these two worlds of IT and OT, where the OT operators are saying, you know, we, we don't want that and it, it messes up our process and, and you know, we're not going to bring that technology into here, uh, often referring to uh, the security controls that, that um, may be more optional than, say, the preventative maintenance uh, capabilities. So the net result there is that... Um, Mixing the the new IoT IIoT technologies with the legacy controls that are in uh, IoT or in in industrial uh, leads to this this forced convergence of IT and OT, and that generates a lot of friction. So being able to um, to straddle both sides and really be able to integrate that 
is the trick for implementing security. So if that can be done, then, then certainly security can be addressed and, and most folks will, will nod their head vehemently and say, yes, yes, security is, is critically important. But when it actually comes down to doing something and when, when the rubber hits the road, that's when things kind of come to a grinding halt because then it's not clear what should be done. What is the actual impact, as you mentioned, on the process by introducing these new controls and even the new security controls for those controls? You know, does that in and of itself create greater risk and, and potentially impact the safety and the reliability of the system? Uh, as an example, uh, you know, you bring in new, let's stick with the preventative maintenance, you bring new uh, preventative maintenance sensors and, and infrastructure to, to monitor, say, gas turbines or something like that. Well, in order to monitor the, the security on those, um, you know, you need certain controls to ensure that there's communication uh, restrictions. It'll only talk to certain devices, et cetera. Um, and what happens when there is now a safety issue? The, the boiler's about to blow, right? Um, is there still a safety override with a big red button to make it stop? Um, is there a console that you'd push the big red button on? Is it a virtual big red big red button now, a digital big red button? Um, if so, boy, I hope there's no um, um, login required, no credentials in order to push that big red button. And, and if there is, you know, the security is intact, but now the safety is not. And so we start to see where safety and security may be conflicting. Um, in general, the security is in place to uh, assure the, the integrity of the safety, uh, but there are cases like the one I just mentioned where, where those are in conflict or say something as simple as a, um, uh, you know, a, a security door is, is one of the examples that uh, one of my colleagues really likes to use. So a security door uh, has to be locked for security reasons to keep people out because it's a door, has a reason for being closed. Um, but since it's a safety door, I meant call this a security door, I meant a safety door, but since it's a, an emergency exit, uh, it has to remain unlocked to allow people out. So that in and of itself uh, leads to interesting conflicts. Now, that one's certainly not as uh, compelling as, say, the, the digital big red button to make a machine stop. But it, it's another example of where these, these concerns uh, conflict. And when it comes to reliability, you know, if you need to do, a, a say, a security scan to uh, assure the integrity and it actually causes the system to lock up and have an unplanned downtime. Well, your reliability just went out the window there. So the safety, sorry, the security does not always play nicely with the safety and the reliability. And so in those cases, uh, that's when the, the conflict begins. And since the operational folks are concerned almost exclusively with safety and reliability, that security, uh, tends to cause problems. And that's when you'll see that although everybody's nodding their head and saying, yes, we absolutely have to implement security, it's not always clear what can be done um, without, you know, adding new uh, uh, challenges to the environment. Okay. I'd actually like to return to a point you made earlier about outdated endpoint devices, um, specifically in relation to the U.S. power grid. The power grid is somewhat notoriously still largely composed of technology from the mid-20th century. How can IoT tech be made compatible with this aging infrastructure? Yeah, well, so that's, that's the big challenge right now. Um, the infrastructure is aging, uh, but it actually works. And as long as it works, it's very difficult to justify an investment. Um, and certainly not like a rip and replace where, where everything comes out and, and fancy, shiny new technology comes in. So in order to keep a system like that running, when everybody says, you know, we do need to provide the security for it because it is vulnerable to uh, remote compromise, which means, you know, anybody in, a, a, you know, a hostile country can certainly take it down and make it do things it wasn't intended to do. Uh, then it becomes time to actually address that problem. And so we call that the brownfield problem. That's the existing technology um, in contrast to the greenfield, uh, which is the new technology. So this greenfield, brownfield um, um, situation and, and the hybrid situations do become challenging and it becomes more difficult to uh, implement security in those cases. So one way to approach that is to overlay a, a 
layer of security, essentially, on top of the existing process. So what you would try to do there is have a um, security proxy representing each device in the environment, and then you wire up those security proxies. Those are the things that are actually communicating it. So in, in essence, you haven't changed the actual flow of your process. Nothing's actually changed. Ideally, you wouldn't even know the, the devices themselves wouldn't know that, number one, they have a security proxy in front of them or that uh, their their communications aren't point-to-point directly. Um, say, a controller talking to a, I don't know, an electrical breaker or something like that. Um, and, and the electrical breaker, of course, needs to be somewhat smart uh, in order for this to make sense. It has to be, uh, you know, communicating. So in that case, if you put a uh, gateway in front of the breaker, and, you know, you have, I don't know, 60 or 80 breakers, and they're all communicating to a handful of controllers, and you put another uh, gateway in front of the controllers. Now you've got a situation where the communications appear from the perspective of both the devices, the endpoints, that the, the controller is speaking directly to the breaker, and the breaker is communicating directly back to the controller. And they may be communicating with ancient, uh, you know, Modbus protocol. However, what the gateways are doing is they're intercepting that traffic, and transparently uh, either converting it to a more modern protocol that has uh, security capabilities or is uh, simply tunneling it through a, a, an encrypted connection off to the other gateway, which will then decrypt it and hand it back to the other device, which doesn't even realize that any security was, was that there was any intermediary security in place. So that's a good first step to roll out security on top of this legacy equipment that's out in the field. Now, once these gateways have been rolled out, and and the gateways, of course, have identity and authentication and authorization and encryption capabilities and such, um, and and by the way, are also manageable and monitorable. So, so let me let me touch on that briefly before I uh, move on. There, um, the gateways themselves. Uh, can have security policy pushed to them, unlike the endpoints, which may not have any concept of, of security or security policy. Uh, but the gateways can have a security policy pushed down to it uh, to say, you know, this is your configuration. Uh, the device behind you should be communicating with the following devices using the following protocols at the following times of day in certain locations or whatever whatever the policy says, right? It's a nice abstraction on, on security functionality. So by pushing this policy down to the gateway, uh, suddenly that device behind it appears to be very intelligent because as you communicate with the device through the gateway, suddenly the gateway will say, you know, I can't talk to you or I can't talk to you anymore or I can't talk to you because of that protocol or, or whatever. So there, there's actually a greater set of security capabilities around that the device that the device has no concept of, is not even aware of, uh, but the gateway takes care of all of that transparently so that it can't be seen by the device uh, and the other devices don't necessarily see the gateway. They see the, the device behind it. And another nice side effect of that is as you're trying to compromise a breaker, um, it's actually resisting for reasons that are not immediately understandable unless you realize that you're actually talking through, say, a, uh, a gateway running uh, Linux or some kind of an embedded OS that has a completely different set of weaknesses. So first you need to compromise the gateway, then you need to compromise the thing behind the gateway, and you have to maintain control of those throughout to actually compromise the device. So the actual uh, action of compromising the device becomes much more complicated. Um, but a, a another side effect is that now you can update the security because it's on the gateway. So whereas before... Even if the device did have security, it may not have a very robust update capability. Um, and those update capabilities may not actually affect the security. And in many cases, the legacy equipment comes with legacy applications because they can't be updated uh, for fear of, of pulling down who knows what and the entire update process itself is suspect. So with a gateway in place, you can even do things such as uh, hit, hitting a repository, pulling down the upload, validating it, uh, and then securely updating the device because it's, it's a single hop uh, between the gateway directly in front of the device across the short wire and to the device itself and then to validate the update. So these, these um, uh, update scenarios become much more viable when we have gateways in place. And finally, since the gateway is passing traffic bidirectionally, it can actually look at that traffic and it can monitor it 
and send out uh, alerts. So even if you're in an industrial environment where they say you cannot block traffic, which is often the case in industrial for, for safety and reliability reasons, you cannot block this traffic. Well, okay, be that as it may, you can still report the fact that there was uh, suspicious traffic or that something unexpected happened or even that something very bad is in the process of happening. And then now now it's, it's at least seen. And that in and of itself is a big step forward. So there are certainly a number of things that can be done today in a brownfield legacy environment within industrial. And once that's laid out, then you can look at a roadmap moving forward on which pieces of equipment would I like to change? You know, what's affordable? What makes the most sense? What's the biggest bang for the buck? Um, et cetera. And so now you can have a controlled evolution rather than a rip and replace scenario where everything has to come out at once. Okay. I have a, uh, a somewhat more ambitious question. So bear with me. Uh, in the summer of 2003, when power through most of the Midwest and Northeast America shut down, it demonstrated to many Americans how interconnected the power grid is, that an accident in rural Ohio could cut the lights out in New York City. One obvious solution to that kind of problem would be to segment the causal connections within the grid into smaller increments, such that local problems don't become global ones. Implementing IIoT would, it seems to me at least, have the opposite effect. If we were to apply the principles of IIoT to the U.S. power grid, would more connected devices around the country lead to even further reaching chain reactions when something goes wrong? Or could a better connected system more effectively address such failures before they spread? It does make sense, and it's an interesting question. Um, so the grid, uh, so power flows on the grid because it's connected, right? So at some point, that grid, and there are only three grids in the United States, the Eastern Interconnect, the Western Interconnect, and, and Texas. Texas has its own grid, uh, which is actually quite convenient because uh, they're, they're very um, – they're, they're, they're more modern and more forward-looking and allow us to do some more experimental things on their, on their live grid. Um, so the grid itself has to be interconnected in order to get the energy to flow to all the corners. Now, the question is, how do you, how do you segment that, as you pointed out? So do you want to have even smaller segments uh, or you know, how do you want to go about um, um, improving that? So Using IoT technology, uh, the first thing that can be done, and actually the first thing that was done, uh, was that uh, the synchrophasers were rolled out. So synchrophasers are measuring the uh, the voltage and the phase angle uh, of the energy in order to keep it in phase and and keep it uh, constant and usable uh, across the grid. So these synchrophasers were out and uh, being deployed, and you know a number of uh, scenarios. I'm not 100% sure about the one that you mentioned, uh, but I live in San Diego and I'm, I'm much more familiar with the, uh, the blackout in San Diego where a, uh, uh, a failure between Arizona and California uh, resulted in a unbalanced state and then a failure actually in Tijuana, Mexico. Uh, put enough stress on it that we saw a blowout of a number of different stations and then all the power was essentially coming down um, from LA through, through Orange County and uh, I believe San Onofre and that was unsustainable and then the whole thing went down. So, uh, you know, the, the impact is certainly, uh, widespread because of the interconnectedness, but during that blackout, they were gathering data and they had been gathering data, um, uh, through the synchrophasers and they actually could identify that there was going to be a problem, uh, well in advance, um, of, of the actual blackout. So they, they could have caught it before it actually blacked out. Uh, the challenge is most of that data is used for monitoring. It can be for root cause analysis after the fact. It's not actionable. So what you are describing would be an actionable grid where in near real time or real enough to actually prevent a, a rolling blackout, um, you would be able to disconnect off the grid and be able to, to maintain the integrity of the parts of the grid that are still running. And, and that makes perfect sense, right? That, that's, that's almost a no-brainer. But then we come back to the security issue. What if you can manipulate that and start cutting down uh, pieces of the grid? And, and you know, by doing that, actually destabilize the grid and, and cause all sorts of, of, of other problems, many of which may not even be uh, apparent 
to begin with. So it, it sort of cuts both ways. And so IoT can be both a blessing and a curse. Um, and the blessing certainly is that there is finer grain control, faster response times, um, theory, theoretically a much more stable grid. And, and in Europe, they, they have a very stable grid. It's, it's, it's much more modern and they have a number of uh, uh, more technologically advanced um, um, you know, capabilities than we do in the U.S., um, but in the U.S., if you were to do that, I mean, boy, that would be a, a big retrofit. And again, you'd be introducing all of the variables for, you know, the now intelligent uh, grid. And, and, you know, that comes with its its uh, own challenges. But as I mentioned before, there are solutions for that. And they may start off with, you know, rolling out controls on, on top of the brownfield and, and then integrating new greenfield technologies over time to ensure the stability and the safety uh, for everyone involved. So it certainly can be done. I, I will say that it, there, there's certainly a light at the end of the tunnel. It's 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 technically feasible to do this. The question is how um, and, and what is our our appetite for taking on a project like that? Winding down here, what are some of the major goings on in your professional circles today, Sven? What are the pressing issues and movements that keep you and your colleagues excited on a day to day basis? Yeah. Okay. Well, so what really does keep us excited is the not due to the nature of the interconnectedness of, of say the, the electric grid and, and, and the, the energy vertical, um, the technologies that we work on and that we bring out into the field are actually very applicable to almost all of the other technologies. So it's very, there is no, there is no single answer to the security issues within industrial. It really takes a number of different uh, elements working in coordination, uh, therefore, you know, interoperability, uh, to get a, a, th- this layer of security, as I was describing before, to actually function across the board. So what really excites us is when we come out with a, uh, an idea or we come out with a new product, a new capability, and all of a sudden, uh, all of the other Vendors around us are saying, Hey, you know what? I can use that in my device and I can use that on my communications network and I can put that over here in my gateway and, you know, we can all start working together. And so that really is very exciting. So in, in industrial in particular, you will see, um, collaboration to solve some of these problems. And it's because of the safety issues that if the grid were to go down, everything goes down and, and, you know, there would be a lot of chaos. Uh, it's certainly about the reliability. It's about the business side. Um, and it's really just to, to, to make sure that, that, you know, really life as we know it continues on. Uh, and in order to do that, we all have to work together. Now, part of that may be because in the grid, uh, in particular, uh, one of the countermeasures that are commonly deployed is to not have a single vendor for everything. So there's a mix of, of control. So there's not any one compromise that will take the whole thing down. It becomes a little bit more complicated to take it down. And that in and of itself may lead to a little bit more collaboration. Uh, but I think it's really just a, a, um, uh, a feeling of, of working for this common goal. Uh, and that's really very much embraced in that vertical more than any other vertical that I've seen where we really do try to work together and make sure that the lights stay on uh, so that there's no uh, catastrophic event that really drives that point home. And sadly, the, the thing that would really raise awareness for security in IoT would be a catastrophic event like that. So oddly, we're, we're, we're sort of fighting against our own best interests by ensuring that everything stays on and that there are no problems, which means that everything's working well, uh, instead of having a problem highlight how badly things really are uh, going and, and how, how much better things could be. But, uh, that really is, is the most exciting part is that, that we're fighting this never ending battle and we're all working together as a team. And I really like that. I think that's a fine place to end. Sven, thank you for speaking with me. Yeah, absolutely. Nate, I enjoyed it. That was my interview with Sven Schrecker. I'm back now with Andrew Ginter. So, Andrew, I I think there was an interesting part of our discussion in the middle there about whether further connecting the power grid is the problem or the solution here. Uh, Do you have anything to add to that conversation in particular? Yeah, I mean, uh, it's it's a heavily studied uh, incident, the 2003 power blackout. Um, and there's a lot of misconceptions about it. I mean, uh, the 
specifics of the blackout are such that uh, there was uh, uh, an incident with a, a transmission line uh, vegetation. You know, the transmission line was overloaded. It, it warmed up and that caused the, uh, the cable to lengthen, which means droop between towers. And the, the vegetation wasn't controlled properly. The, the, the cable made electrical contact with the vegetation. There was a short and, you know, the protective equipment kicked in to, you know, prevent injury, to prevent damage to equipment and shut down that chunk of the transmission line. Now, all of the power on the hottest day of the year is being routed through other transmission lines, all of which were running at maximum capacity already. Well, now they've got more power running through them. They're overloaded. Another one trips saying, I'm overloaded. I've got to, to prevent damage to my equipment. And even more power is routed through the remaining ones. They all overload. This is called a cascading failure. The, there was no, you know, the, 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 the computer equipment in that piece of the outage all worked correctly. That's called a cascading failure. Um, you know, what people, what people get confused about is what triggered all that. And there was a failure in one of the alarm servers that initially a lot of people talked about looking like uh, a cyber attack. They, they thought it had the symptoms of the blaster worm. So there was a lot of talk in the day about was this a cyber incident? There are still, believe it or not, there are still experts out there who say the 2003 was a cyber attack, the 2003 blackout. It's not true. Um, you know, the vendor responsible for the, the software that failed um, has admitted that it was a bug. They fixed the bug. Um, you know, exhaustive investigations took place. Detailed reports were written. It was not a cyber attack. You know, uh, my, my advice to the experts out there, and Sven is not one of them. He, he did not weigh in this way. But believe it or not, there are still cyber experts out there who say it was a cyber attack. And I say to them, guys, go read the report, do your homework. Okay, I understand the argument you're making. But I think that the underlying point that I was trying to make is still valid, which is to say, is further connecting the power grid a good or a bad idea if we picture a situation like 2003 caused by a hack this time? Let's say that situation will exist in the future. Is a further connected power grid a good thing to stop that sort of hack or a bad thing? Uh, that's, I mean, that's a, a good question. Um, the... Industrial Internet of Things is going to connect things more, not so much directly connect, you know, what, what they call edge devices with each other, though there is some of that within, you know, local sites. What we see is that the Industrial Internet is connecting the edge devices to each other through cloud systems. If you've got a million devices all over the country connected into one cloud system and another million devices connected into another one, well, they're all connected with each other. If the cloud systems are connected with each other as well, you've got a lot more connectivity. When we talk to people who are deploying or considering deploying the Industrial Internet of Things, this is a serious impediment to the adoption of the Industrial Internet of Things. The, the idea that um, all of this connectivity, I mean, any connection that lets data flow also lets attacks flow. Now we've got all sorts of connectivity between devices that are controlling the physical world that we didn't used to have which means we have all sorts of paths for attacks to flow into these devices that didn't exist before. I've talked to industrial sites, um, you know, started talking about the industrial Internet of Things with them, and they interrupt me and say, excuse me, excuse me, just so you know, you're probably wasting your time here because we have a strict policy. No cloud connections for our industrial control systems ever, period. And... It is, you know, in, in many industries, in many kinds of sites, it is a very serious concern that this increased connectivity is going to yield uh, increased attack uh, opportunities. All right, let's 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 switch topics here for a bit. Andrew, I know personally you're involved with IIoT. So how does what you do differ or perhaps how is it similar to what Sven described to us in his interview? Well, a lot of what I've been doing in the IoT, really, Sven's been doing as well. He was the uh, the he still is the co-chair of the the security working group at the Industrial Internet Consortium. Um, a couple of years ago, that group uh, produced 
the Industrial Internet Consortium Security Framework. And I'm one of the co-authors. You know, I contributed, I don't know, a dozen pages scattered throughout the document. Sven was a major author. He con- he contributed a lot to, to that document. Um, so we've worked together. Um, Sven really didn't mention the security framework. So uh, let me say a couple of words about it. It's it's useful. It's, uh, I don't know, a couple of hundred pages long. It's got all sorts of good information in it. But it is not a standard. It does not tell us what to do. It is more of a checklist. It's more of a list of things we could do if we wanted to address, if you know, if we had one concern or another. Well, there's a lot of vendors involved in the space. The, the Industrial Internet Consortium's got, I think, over 300 vendors involved right now. Um, and a lot of the the uh, the vendors are uh, seeing this as a new business opportunity. The um, the industrial automation space is a mature market. Uh, you know, you go look at the market analysts, and they talk about the the market growing at a rate of two or three or four percent per year. And so, in a mature market, when a vendor sees an opportunity to offer an entirely new kind of product or service. That's a huge opportunity. And so what we see is a lot of vendors, pretty much every vendor of physical industrial equipment and uh, every certainly every vendor of, of software, industrial automation software, is moving into the IIoT space and is adapting their existing products and building new products in this space. And in particular, offering vendor um call it consulting or maintenance or any kind of optimization service, the vendors are arguably the experts in the world on their stuff. And so they see an opportunity to leverage that expertise by connecting their, you know, the the edge devices, connecting their software, connecting their hardware in the field into the vendor cloud, into the, you know, bring it into the face of the vendor experts where the vendors can add value in, you know, predicting uh, failures and uh, minimizing maintenance costs and optimizing op- operations. So this is a huge space and uh, the the security uh, end of it is seen as an impediment to sales. And so the, the security, you know, the, the internet consor- consortium and the, the, all the vendors involved um, are putting a big focus on uh, dealing with and addressing the security problems so that we can get that behind us and move forward into realizing the benefits of, of the, the new technology and the new opportunities here. Right. That seems like a kind of wide problem. How many vendors exist at any given industrial site or how many connections out into the world uh, should we expect to see? Oh, that's that's one of the really distressing parts. Right now, a typical industrial site, uh, depending on the industry, you know, in the, the industries I'm most familiar with, things like refining and uh, power generation, um, you might see a handful, you know, five, ten connections to vendor sites in those in in a large power plant or a large uh, refinery currently. In other industries. Um, let's say discrete manufacturing. Let's say you're you're manufacturing washing machines, or you know, worse, you're manufacturing aircraft. You've got a big physical facility full of hundreds or thousands of machines, and each machine is sort of the size of, uh, you know, a large bedroom. Um, you tend to have as many as a hundred vendors of machines in one of these large facilities. And pretty much every one of these vendors wants to connect into their machines. So either now or in the future, you're looking at heavily defended, or sorry, heavily connected, heavily connected industrial sites, tens or hundreds of connections to vendors. And the problem is this, you know, not only in the abstract do we worry that that attacks can can fly through connections, even encrypted connections. Crypto systems encrypt attacks just as happily as they encrypt legitimate communications. Um, the problem is that that not all of these vendors are going to be defended to the same degree. Some of them are going to have you know really good, really thorough defenses. Others are not. And when you got a hundred connections. Some of them are going to be to poorly defended vendors, vendors that inevitably will be compromised. And now every industrial site connected to the compromised vendors is at risk. So this is, you know, this is the, 
sort of the other side of the coin. The first side of the coin is everybody's worried about increased connectivity. And the second side is everybody is not just in the abstract worried about increased connectivity. They're worried about increased connectivity to hundreds of cloud sites, each of which is managed by a different vendor, none of which does the industrial site have any control over the depth of, of security defenses in, in place at those vendors. That is depressing. So, Andrew, where's the light at the end of the tunnel when we're talking about this sort of stuff? Well, the light at the end of the tunnel is, in a sense, the Industrial Internet Consortium security framework. There's a lot of good ideas in the framework. What we need is vendors to start using these ideas. What we need is um, end users to start demanding that the products they buy uh, have these security features really what we what we need is a way for the users to verify that the vendors have deployed good security and the iic is actually working on this they're working i believe right now on a certification suite for certifying the characteristics of iot uh, edge devices now you know the cloud services are part of the issue as well that would be a next step right now um, there is certification uh, development processes underway um, and so, you know, lots of good work is in progress. If people are interested, I do recommend uh, reading the Industrial Internet Consortium Security Framework. It's free of charge on the Internet. And uh, getting involved in the process of uh, defining these, these security characteristics and the, uh, the certification standards that are going to be put in place uh, so that end users have confidence in the security of their solutions. Okay. And on future episodes of our podcast, hopefully other guests will be able to further illuminate these sorts of discussions. Andrew, thank you for speaking with me. Always good to be here, Nate. This is Nate Nelson signing off. Please join us next time on the Industrial Security Podcast. <laughs>